Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peek, and welcome to episode 430 of her, the podcast where, well, you're going to hear the truth about her mind, her body, her life, and today, her future self. Oh, yes, you know you're going to love this episode. Before we begin, because it's going to be a terrific episode, just know that it's made possible by our sponsor, Solaray Vitamins, S-O-L-A-R-A-Y Vitamins. Run on over to solaray.com. Why? Because you know what you try to do. You try to eat all your greens and, and get all those colorful vegetables and fruits in, and it never works. <laughs> Maybe in your future self it will, but right now it's kind of a cluster. So what I'm asking you to do is fill in the gap. Get the multiple vitamin at the very least. Brand new research just was published by my colleagues at Harvard. And what they found, this is Dr. Manson and others, what they found was that when you do your multiple vitamins on a daily basis, you increase cognitive performance. Yay on that. And you also delay any kind of problems with cognitive performance later on down the pike if you stay consistent. Run on over to solarayvitamins.com and learn more because women, you need it. And you know what I'm saying. And here's your first reminder to please click on to iTunes after the episode to rate and review the show. Why? Because my entire team sits here with bated breath waiting to hear your feedback. So that's just, I'm just sharing here. All right, it's time for Her. Her, the podcast. The naked truth about women. Her mind, her body, her life. It's all about Her. All right, have you just ever read a book that just sort of was it? It just sort of changed your life and your perspective. And it also answered a lot of questions about things like, I don't know, your future self. What is your future self? We've heard this so many times. So go figure, we now have a book called Your Future Self, How to Make Tomorrow Better Today. And my guest today is the author, and that is Hal Hirschfield. Hal, welcome to the Her Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to chat with you. This is going to be great. All right. So Hal is a professor of marketing, behavioral decision-making, and psychology at UCLA's Anderson School of Management and holds the UCLA Anderson Board of Advisors term chair in management. His research which sits at the intersection of psychology and economics, which I find utterly fascinating, examines the ways we can improve our long-term decisions. He earned his PhD in psychology from Stanford University. And since I'm from Berkeley, I'm just going to have to kind of forgive you for being from Stanford. I'm just <laughs> For people out there, major rivalry. I'm just I'm putting it out there. All right. So how? congratulations on the book. It is Fabulous. But I'm going to ask a question that I ask of all authors. Why? Why did you write the book? Thank you for the kind words. That's so nice of you. Why did I write the book? I mean, I just felt like I needed to. To some extent, I have been thinking about future selves and doing research on it for more than 15 years now. Honestly, it really started back around the time of the big financial crisis in 08, 09. I started wondering, why are people getting themselves stuck in these 
situations. I got really interested in financial decisions and the psychology of where things go awry and quickly realized that so much of the work that I was doing, it goes beyond financial decisions. It's about anytime we have these sort of, you know, so-called trade-offs between now and later. And it felt like the right time to sort of put together all the research out there and all the thoughts and some stories and try to get it out there to as many people as I could. Well, you know, one of the reasons why it hit me, and you probably may not even, I don't know, it's one of those considerations. Think about what I do. I'm a physician, a clinical scientist. I sit on the board of the American College of Sports Medicine. All I do is, you know, rant and rave all day long about, please take better care of yourself. It's like, oh, is anyone listening? If ever there was a moment where, you know, you really wanted to bring up the issue of your future self, you could look at everything from wealth. And I talk from health. When you look at both of those and you're at the intersection of psychology and economics, well, there's health and wealth and the greatest wealth is health. So when I ask someone to look in the mirror and kind of go, uh-oh, rot row, what happened here? And, you know, we're not eating well, we're not getting any physical activity, we're so stressed out, we can't see straight, and sleep, what's that? So when I ask you to think about your future self as it relates to all of that, you know, there's a lot of crickets, a lot of dead silence. So what's going on here, Hal? Yeah, I mean, you brought up so many important topics there, health, wealth. You said sleep, and sleep is so interesting, too, because whether we're talking about, well, whether it's health or wealth or sleep or eating or exercising or whatever it is, part of the problem here is that no one's surprised to hear that they should be doing more for their future selves, right? This is like not some sudden, you know, revelation, right? Part of the problem is that we have difficulty doing the things that we say we want to do in part because we are you know, what we're really good at is making an exception out of each single present moment, right? So I say that I'm going to work out today, but oh my gosh, you know, the day went long and I get home and I'm tired. You know what? Today, today I'm not going to work out. And it's like, that's fine. And will I be qualitatively less healthy tomorrow because I didn't work out today or because I ate unhealthy today or because I had an extra cocktail? I don't think tomorrow it's going to be measurably different. The problem is that we can't really make exceptions of the present because they all add up and they start compounding, right? And creating that moment. You said it, right? I look back and I say, oh, <laughs> I can't believe I <laughs> did that, right? They all come together in that way. One of the things one of my patients once told me, because I've been playing this future self thing for a long time in my own little humble way. And that is, I try to have people say, wouldn't you want to feel like you have more energy? Wouldn't you want to be able to wake up tomorrow morning feeling proud of what you just did and, and all the rest of it? And many people have trouble with that because they've never been there. So how do you do the future self thing is kind of interesting because some people are just sort of circling back to the way they were. They kind of got off track, but they kind of know the drill about how it's going to look when they're in really great shape mentally, physically, financially, however you're talking. But for people who've kind of never been there, it's like they have to dream it up. So 
how do you address that issue? Right. And you said it so well. It can be really hard to relate to these future versions of us that we haven't yet become. And in some ways we never, you know, we never will. You're just, (laughs) you're sort of constantly progressing on and we can try to imagine, right? We can try to simulate, but even that is something we're not very good at, right? And so there's a couple of things that I think are, are useful to consider here. So one is, I really like the idea that surrogation actually wins out over simulation. What that means is we may do well by talking to a surrogate, someone who can sort of stand in for ourselves, someone who's gone through the experiences already, because if they're somewhat like us and they've, well, whatever it may be in terms of health, they've eaten healthier or not, whatever it might be, that might be actually useful to talk to somebody right in the here and now who's vivid and can say, well, here's what happens when I did this thing or didn't do this thing. So that's on the one side of the equation, surrogation over simulation. But I think there's another sort of deeper thing here, which is that because it's really hard to fully step into the shoes of our future selves, and I'm sure we'll talk about sort of other things here as well, but because this is really hard, I think one of the best things we can do is to try to make whatever our positive behaviors are, that the behaviors that we're trying to create, try to make those automatic. Take away the tension, right? So I think all of these sorts, whether it's health, wealth, sleep, it always involves this present day sacrifice and a future benefit, right? And you know, the way I think about it, it's kind of like a terrible relationship where you're the one, <laughs> you're always making sacrifices for someone else. Like if you went to a therapist and said, you know, I'm always sacrificing and they never do anything, they'd say, get out of that relationship, right? But we can't do that with our future selves. We're always sacrificing. They're always benefiting. So in addition to trying to foster a closer relationship between current and future selves, I think it may really help to try to make those sacrifices feel easier to undertake. So, you know, it's not about working out and going to the gym. That's big. That's hard to do. It's well, okay. What's the first little thing I can do to just get there? Can I, you know, the classic example, can I put my workout clothes out the night before, you know, or, you know, one that I really love is it's not a 30 minute run. It's what if I go for a five minute run? I'm just going to start with that. Look, and what if I just then go for another five minute run and just see, and that's, there's something that feels so dumb about that because it's just a psychological trick, but it, it makes it, I tell you, I'd much rather just say, okay, all I'm going to do is five minutes. And if it, if it works out that I'm going to keep going, I'll keep going. And you know what I end up doing most of the time <laughs> is I keep going, right? Cause once you get started, it's easier to continue. You kind of break that inertia it's a mental and a physical inertia is what happens. It's really kind of interesting to a certain degree. I remember when I first started doing triathlon, which is a real public thing. I mean, you know, you're swimming and you're biking and you you crash into people and do all kinds of crazy ass things. When you're thinking about your future self, the way I'm kind of looking at it based upon your book is there's a strategy You don't want to just riff through life because that's never going to get you where you need to go. So you say to yourself, okay, well, I want to do my very first triathlon. Okay. I don't want to look like a complete idiot out there. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do work. I'm going to lay down a foundation and I'm going to just suck it up and do the work. And then I'm going to have a plan. Like, let me see which sprint triathlon am I going to choose? I'm going to choose this one over here. 
okay, that's the date. I have that much time to do my thing. But what's really interesting about the future self, I see myself, you know, like, oh, you know, coming through the finish line and they give me the little medal and everything and all the rest of it. And you see that in the, in the back of your mind. And then there's all this hell that goes on before you ever hit the final. So I think part of the future self is strategy, adventure, and casting your fate to the wind because you literally don't know. What do you think? You're so right. So there, there's a, you know, a couple of things I want to pick off there. So, you know, one is that adventure, right? There's some great research suggesting that we tend to think of self-control as this hard thing, as this thing that should be hard, it should be painful, it should be difficult. And it doesn't have to be. Like, I mean, I think the way that you said it, adventure is great, that if I recast any of these sort of self-control dilemmas, if you will, is some way to have fun. Is there is the training for the triathlon? Is there a way to make that fun? Whatever it may be. And this is idiosyncratic, so I can't really say. That's going to make it a lot more likely that I'll persist and stick with it. But then you said something else, which is, you know, I forget how you said it, you know, casting fate into, how did you say it? Casting your fate to the casting wind. Casting your fate to the wind. To some extent, I think it's important to recognize that we never can fully know our future selves, right? Because there is inherently uncertainty that, that takes place between now and some future point in time. We also have no idea how different experiences will change us in different ways, right? And what I mean by that is if I'm going to change my career or move cities or engage in a new relationship or whatever it is, those decisions will change me fundamentally in ways I can't fully appreciate until I've gone through the change itself. And so the reason that I say that is because I think the recognition that we don't fully know what's going to happen frees us up a little bit to say, okay, I don't know that. I can still plan. I can still hope. I can still plan. I can still connect to some deeper values and likes and dislikes that I have now and anticipate having in the future. But if I, if I throw up my hands and bury my head in the sand, surely that's not a, <laughs> surely that's not going to result in the outcomes that we want. Right. So I think it's a little bit of this very kind of mature blend of planning and flexibility. So here's something interesting. I had someone take a little peek at your book as well, along with me from my A-team. And this individual is a very micromanaging, controlling kind of person. No, no, in a very loving way. I mean, they understand it. They're like, you know, I'm one of those and whatever. And they laugh at themselves. But they say, what about us who try to do all this over-strategizing over-planning so we can, and I quote, control the future. What do you do with the control people? So here's one of the most, you know, you write a book, you don't really know what you're going to find. You have some idea of how things are going to go. And then here's one of the cases where I was most surprised. So I am have been fascinated with what researchers call myopia. It's the tunnel vision I'm focused on right now. It turns out that there's this smaller, but still really important body of work on what's called hyperopia. Hyperopia is when I'm to a fault, too focused on the future. And, you know, as I think of your team member, 
And I know you're saying, well, there's the loving aspect of this. And I have a little of this too. I, I sometimes need to... Oh, come on. We all do. We all do, right? And it's, you know, like there's moments where you notice it happening. I'm like, oh God, stop. You know, stop controlling this little, little teeny things, right? The really interesting and almost pernicious aspect of hyperopia is that we think we're doing something in service of our future selves when in fact we may be harming them, right? So sort of ask yourself, if I'm trying to control every little thing, how does that make my daily life? And is my future self going to look back and say, I'm glad I spent my time that way? It's almost as if we're forgetting that our future self has memories (laughs) and is going to look back and say, I wish I'd spent my time differently. I love that. It's almost like you don't have those memories. It's really quite fascinating as I'm I'm really packaging, I'm trying to unpack this from the book and take it like piece by piece. So if you were now to begin a lecture, you're sitting there in front of one of your corporate clients or however you're playing and they're sa- they're going to ask the question, so how do you make this easier on yourself? What are the tools and how do you do that? So that, one, you can achieve an optimal future self as best you can within limits and constraints of craziness of life, right? And two, how do you make it sustainable, right? How do you make it easier? This is great. Okay, so I, you know, in the book, I sort of, I think of there being three buckets of strategies. And the first one is to try to make our future selves more emotionally closer to who we are now. I go through a couple of different options there, one of which is literally writing a letter to our future self and then from our future self, almost imagining that we are them writing back to who we are now. Now, I'm not saying that that is going to be something you should do every day, (laughs) nor am I saying that doing that once is going to be the type of thing that now suddenly I will eat healthy forever. Rather, I think it's a really nice exercise in starting the conversation with our future selves, starting to get to know that that person, starting to think about who we want to be. And it may be particularly useful when we're about to make a big change. If I'm on the fence about working with a nutritionist or a trainer or a different physician, whatever it may be, a financial advisor, that sort of exercise could be the type of thing that really helps me in sort of taking action, right? That is, in other words, finally like, okay, saying, okay, I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm now going to work with this person. In other words, the exercise of connecting with my future self can help me then get over the hump to do something that then can be more automatic and sustainable over time. Now, I know I talk about a lot of different options there in the book, but the second strategy is essentially to recognize that we have all of these hopes and dreams and plans to act in these sort of upright, you know, righteous ways. And we want to look back and say, I acted in a righteous way. I didn't snack late at night. I ate healthy. I worked out and I saved money. But there's always going to be this version of me that screws things up. This guy who gets tempted by the peanut M&Ms that my kids have in the cabinet, you know, or whatever it may be, right? They're good. I, what can I do? Having the recognition that there's going to be a version of me who screws up can help us adopt what researchers call commitment devices. I absolutely love commitment devices. What they are are devices that we implement in our lives that put constraints on our future behavior. 
one of the, you know, one of my favorite practical ones is it's a product. It's called the K-Safe. It's literally a box and it's got an electronic timer on it. And it used to be called the kitchen safe. It was designed for people who had snacking problems. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and you can set that timer from a minute to 10 days. The guy who designed it designed it for snacking and found out people were using it for all sorts of things, alcohol, drugs, their phones. And he renamed it the case safe. It's so much more than the kitchen. I have one. And in my particular case, I use it for my phone at dinner time. And it's so great because I'm not tempted. If it's one of those nights of the week where we're all home and I can eat dinner with my kids, if I have my phone, even in the kitchen, I can tell myself I won't check it. But then when I go in to fill up their water glass, why don't I just check the email real fast? And it's so dumb because there's no email that's going to come through that's so important, but it takes me away. It makes me lose focus. I'm no longer present. And this sort of device, it locks it up. That's one commitment device. There's others I talk about in the book, but you know the big thing there is to try to create commitment devices that are powerful enough that deter your behavior, but not so draconian in their punishments that I don't adopt them to begin with, because then I'm not going to use them, right? I'm a reminder person. So I've got reminders. So I want to make sure to, like our sponsor, Solaray, like I want to make sure to get my multiple vitamins in and my supplements as I go through the day. That then starts a cascade of, well, if you're going to do that, make sure to eat well. And if you're going to do that, do you have what you need to eat? You know, and it just sort of, it opens a door to all the other opportunities, which then lay down a foundation for a healthier future self. Does that, am I saying this right? It makes perfect sense. You know, it's funny because there's some work from, from several years ago looking at employees at a large corporation. They found that when they started taking care of their future selves in one domain, that seemed to spill over into others as well. They make re contributions to their retirement account. They're suddenly reporting more likelihood to get, you know, checkups and wear their seatbelt, these, so these sorts of things, right? And so I love the term you use cascading effects, right? So I, you know, it, it kind of makes sense that I'm going to do this. I might as well do these other things. I mean, that the problem there is the flip side where if I say, well, I didn't work out, so I might as well eat a dessert. Well, yeah, it's got a, <laughs> it's got a dark side to this. So, you know, I've got the devil on one shoulder saying, well, you know, you blew it on one thing, then might as well keep going. Screw the whole thing. Yeah. And then the angel on the other saying, no, oh, wait a minute now, come on. It's called a regrouping and you need to regroup ASAP and not slip down some slippery slope into a rabbit hole. Exactly. Those First two strategies, make the future self closer and then put on the binder, you know, put on the constraints with commitment devices. The, the last one that I talk about in the book is to try to make the present sacrifices feel easier. I know we were sort of circling around this before I was talking about, you know, what if I just went on a five minute run and then another five minute one? We have, you know, in the financial space, my collaborators and I have this project where we worked with a fintech company and these were people who were signed up to be part of the savings app. And we asked them, do they want to sign up for an automatic savings plan? Now, some of them, we said, hey, do you want to contribute 150 bucks a month? And some people we asked, do you want to contribute five bucks a day? Now, it's the same amount. We know this, right? Five bucks a day, just like going on a five minute run, it feels easier. You know, a lot of us can think of something that we'd be willing to give up that costs five bucks a day. 
$150 a month, that's, it's harder to figure out what's that thing. That's a bigger chunk. And sure enough, 7% of people signed up when it was $150 a month, but 30% did. Four times as many when it was $5 a day. Now, that's just one specific instance. But again, it made the present day sacrifice feel easier to undertake. And so you sort of say, what else can I apply that line of thinking to? I think it's, uh, it could be really powerful if, if done right. I've been playing with this for a long time with, with something that, you know, for years I just didn't want to have anything to do with. And I swear it, it's meditation. You and I are like type triple A, quadruple A's. <laughs> We're out there. We're achieving. We've got the alphabet soup after the name. We go fast. You know, it's just the way it life is until I met this group with the David Lynch Foundation, Transcendental Meditation. And, you know, David Lynch is the famous producer, director, and all the whatever. I love him to death. Anyway, they came to me, and, and this is what they said. They said, well, Dr. Peak, we're going to customize one just for you, which is more of a warrior meditation. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, let's go fast and let's do that. And then it was very interesting. They said, you know, the actual TM is 20 minutes. And I mean, that, you might as well have told me I'd be in there for 20 years. I'm like, are you kidding me? 20 minutes? And then they challenged me. Can you do three minutes? And I'm like, you know, I grew hair on my chest. And I said, well, of course I could do three minutes. Don't be ludicrous. And they said, okay, we'll do it. So I closed my eyes and those little, you know, stealthful devils, I closed my eyes and I just allowed, you know, they had taught me how to kind of sink into the deep sea of it all and everything. And I swear I opened up my eyes 20 minutes later because it was that easy and I had no idea. And so by just sort of playing with my psyche, that really helped. And when it comes to what I do, helping people try to get up, be more physically active, little eating, whatever the situation is. I do exactly what your book says and what you're testifying to now. And that is I divide it up into the tiniest little segment where to say no would sound ludicrous. It's just like, you're a loser. Okay. I mean, if you can't, if you can't spend five minutes chopping up some vegetables for a good salad come on now, you know, let's all grow up together. I didn't say you had to be a master chef. I just said, just go the grocery store, spend 10 minutes in the grocery store, get only produce, something divide it up so that you're laying down that foundation for a more optimal quality of life on the overall. It, it's like for you as a, an economist, saving that money, People say five bucks and 10 bucks. Yeah, well, you know, 10 years later, let's add that up. Grab your calculator and next thing you know, you've got a nice little nest egg cooking. Make sense? Absolutely makes sense. And I think your meditation story is fantastic because that's exactly the right, you know, and I love that it's like they're you know, challenging you, right? So you can do it. They messed with me. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I'll, I'll just add one thing, which is, again, the sort of devil, the dark side, right? If we apply this thinking, so, you know, in the book, I call this, you know, make the big small, right? So break it down to little, little pieces. Now, imagine I do that in the reverse for the things that I, I know are great for me, right? So 
on the financial side, buy now, pay later is a great example of the flip of this, right? So I can't afford this big, giant, top of the line TV, but but I can afford it in monthly payments. Well, that's fine. But if I do that for every big purchase, now all of a sudden I'm going to be saddled with lots of debt month by month, right? Or if I say, I shouldn't eat this, you know, like full bag of peanut M&Ms tonight, the family size one. Well, let me have a little bit. And then I'll come back. Maybe I'll have a little bit more. At no point did I say I'm going to eat the whole bag, but I did have a little bit and a little bit and a little bit until I did, right? And so it's the flip side of breaking things down in a way that can actually harm us. So I think it's it's good to try to use it for good and then also be aware of when we might really in a sophisticated way use it that in a way that harms us. I absolutely hear you 100%. It's one of those situations where you have to ask yourself, What's real? So what happens is between you and me, what I hear all the time is that social media just plays on people's heads. It's like, oh, she ran 10 miles and, you know, she does five miles and anybody who does less than that is a total loser and all the rest of it. And you're like, oh, I can't do, you know. So what I do is I say, bag all those complete idiots. Just don't even look at that stuff. Instead, challenge yourself, but be real. All right. So you have not seen the outdoors since Jurassic Park. Okay. You're not a, you're not a natural runner or anything. So stop with the running thing, but can you walk? And, and I'm going to challenge you walk around the damn block and come back. Now, did you a have to call 911 on speed dial? No. Two, how do you feel? Didn't that feel pretty energizing and whatever? All right, I challenge you, walk around another block. And then you just keep building and you're saying to yourself, you're rooted in reality. I'm not a natural born athlete. I'm usually sedentary, but look what I can do within the limits and constraints of who I am today. And by doing so, I'm making my future self better. Right. Exactly. I think that is, you said it so well. I can't, I can't add to that. I loved it. <laughs> well, what, you know, I, I'm going to ask you another question. You said to write to your future self and the future self would write to you. What about that exercise of talking to your younger self, looking in the path? How does that figure into this whole constellation of what the future self is? Right. So, I mean, there's, there's a couple of iterations of this, right? So one is if I wait long enough and get the letter back from <laughs> from myself, I can actually kind of have that communication. And that's not science fiction. There's a great website, Future Me, where I can write an email and set a date to get it in the future. And then what's wild is now I'm writing to Future Me, but then eventually Future Me is going to correspond back, you know, or... I love that concept of the Future Me website. That's just fabulous. You can really play with that. But what about looking past, you know, like... If I look at, what would I say to my 12-year-old self or whatever? Right. So the research there, I think, is has not really been done, save for one, one study led by one of my students, Alicia John. She is looking in the health space at weight loss maintenance. So, you know, it turns out we know a million ways to lose weight. Maintaining it, that's really hard, right? Maintaining the weight loss. And so... One of the things that she's been finding, and this, is, this isn't published work yet, but it's preliminary. One of the things she's finding is 
it's not about the communication per se, but keeping a salient picture in mind of my what she calls pre-goal self, you know, that version of me before I started exercising and eating healthier and so on and so on. That is a contrast that can make it easy for me to say, okay, or it makes it easier for me to say, okay, I'm going to keep going and persist with the maintenance that's required now. So you asked a different question, which is like, what about writing back? And I can only speculate there because I've heard anecdotally that when people get letters back from their past self. That's not the same as writing to them, but when they get them back, it forces them to sort of wrestle with the values that they had then and question which of those values have been maintained moving forward and which of them have changed. And I've even heard cases where people say, I need to get back to the person I was when I was 12. And however that, whatever that means, you know, concretely. So I I do wonder would writing that letter back to your 12-year-old self, your 15-year-old self, would it, would it force you to ask what was important to me then and what, what may still be important to me? I don't know. It's, I just love the question. I think it's hard. It's really hard because who you are today is so different than that 12-year-old. The biggest joke among, like, for instance, women, or even men, I suppose, is that when we were younger, we complained about our bodies, <laughs> yeah. you know? So a man would say, oh, you know, like a teenager, oh, I wish I had more of a six pack, and, uh, you know? And a woman would say, oh, my hips are too big or whatever, and back and forth. And then you flash forward about 30 years and you're like, damn, what was I thinking? I look fantastic. <laughs> what the hell? And at the same time, men now have that nasty little, you know? Yep, the little punch. What shall I say? I call it Bob belly over belt. You just go bobbing (laughs) along. And then they look at their pictures, you know, as they were like jumping into a little creek with their friends and stuff when they were 15. And they were like, oh, what was I complaining about? So I don't know. I think it's really hard because you're so different. And within the context of that decade in your life, it's really difficult, I think, to kind of reimagine how you were supposed to talk to yourself. I don't know. I would rather deal quite frankly with the future self and not get, not play around with all the rest of it. Well, it makes sense because that's the one we can change. Well, that's the point. There's the hope. There's the hope and the opportunity. Again, going back to the adventure, as most of my listeners know by now, my one of my mottos um, comes from Helen Keller, life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. And so I'm of the belief that you come up with a dream that's pretty reasonable, I mean, not ridiculous, and then you say to yourself, well, how do I lay down a strategy and let's just put it out there? And then I ask the ultimate question, What's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? What? You know, like the whole world comes to an end or because you weren't able to finish a triathlon? Come on, just do it and live for the adventure, the entire fun of it all and the craziness and the work that has to be done because it makes you really appreciate the return on investment over time. Isn't that, see, I use a little economic term, little ROI thing. I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's a really, it's a really important sentiment because you're right. What's the worst that could happen? And well, we'll bring it back. You can't get that ROI unless you 
unless you make the first investment. And there you have it. I just absolutely love this book. And I think that everyone out there needs to read it. It's called Your Future Self, How to Make Tomorrow Better Today, because I think you're going to get a better idea of how to manage today so that tomorrow is fantastic. And I'm not saying your future self 20 years from now or whatever. I'm just saying for crying out loud, how are you going to feel tomorrow morning? How are you going to feel this afternoon or this evening? Are you going to go to sleep knowing that you took that extra walk, that you did that extra nutrition that was really good for you. So the future thing, I think a lot of people just sort of jump to like, you know, 20 years from now, that's ridiculous. I don't like that very much. What I much prefer is you, like you always said in your book, and that it's an incremental thing. How are you going to feel later on today? How are you going to feel before you go to bed at nighttime? How are you going to feel when you wake up in the morning? Those are all future selves, every one of them, and they build up to a stronger, more sustainable future self. Makes sense, Hal? That's perfect. I love it. You know, it's there's not just one future self. All of the selves between now and some later point in time add up. You know, they create sort of a cumulative future self, if you will. And I think just stopping and saying, let's take it back to tomorrow is just a really smart way to think about it. I love it. And then it spills off into everything else. So once you start taking better care of yourself, you look around and maybe your place is all cluttered and nasty and whatever, and you start getting more organized. Then as you get more organized, you go, you know, I really did want to see that financial planner. And maybe it's about time. Maybe I want to catch up with X, Y, and Z. It just keeps, we said it as a cascade or it's a domino effect. It just keeps affecting better and better behavior. And instead of a vicious cycle, you're on a positive one. And I think that's kind of where we're going. Hal, I cannot thank you enough for being on the Her Podcast. I mean, seriously, I could talk about this forever. You will now, I'm dubbing you a repeat offender (laughs) for the Her Podcast, which means we're going to be tapping into you again and again, because I think this future self theme comes up a lot in the news in all kinds of news. I mean, I read the Wall Street Journal every single day and there it is again. You know, we're worrying about artificial intelligence and what's my future self going to look like with that and all the rest of it. So I think your theme is incredibly timely and very important. So everyone out there, we've been talking to Dr. Hal Hirschfield. He is the author of Your Future Self, How to Make Tomorrow Better Today. Hal, I can't thank you enough for being on the Her Podcast. Thank you so much. This is a, a wonderful conversation. I appreciate it. Wonderful. And I also want to give a major shout out to our sponsor, Solaray Vitamins, S-O-L-A-R-A-Y Vitamins. And you heard me keep saying that throughout the entire interview. You know you've got to stay on top of your nutrition and take good care of yourselves. Now, that multiple vitamin every day, ladies. Come on now. All right, solaray.com. Check it out. Now, everyone, run on over to iTunes, right? And we want you to click on that, rate and review the show because we want to hear from you, especially me, because I'm Dr. Pam Peek. I'm host of the Her Podcast. Follow me on Facebook at Dr. Pam Peek or Twitter and Instagram at Pam Peek MD. Remember to catch every single episode 
of the Her Podcast on all kinds of platforms, iTunes, Radio MD, Spotify, we're all over the place. And most importantly, thanks for coming today, listening. Hey, stay safe and stay well.